else is on? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for Giggy Girl Experience. I'm Hope Mullinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, the Pines family resolve to get back to a normal life after the Gideon incident. They throw a Mystery Shack is back party, but some unwelcomed guests crash their celebration. We're talking about Gravity Falls, first episode, season two, Scaryoki this week. Welcome to season two, Chris. Hey. Hey. I didn't have to wait a year year or so for it either. Oh, you lucky bastard. (laughs) You lucky bastard. It's funny because you could tell there'd been time in between. In a couple episodes, there's going to be a Game of Thrones reference, which Game of Thrones hadn't started at the beginning of season one, but it had started by the time season two right. came out for them to put in Game of Thrones references. <laughs> I do want to follow up on a note from last week that Chris is going to enjoy this, because in big letters I have, Chris is right. Yes, he is. He is. Last week when we were talking about the shorts and I came across the short tooth, we had been talking about Barrow, and Chris was talking about how Mabel's puppet Barrow had to be based on something because we had both seen it before. Well, my dumb butt, I forgot to check the list of allusions because on the Wikipedia, there is a list of allusions to other real world references, and I had forgotten to check this week. And turns out Barrow is based off Billy Bob Broccoli. Broccoli, Broccoli. Is based off Billy Bob Broccoli, the animatronic band from the Rock of Fire Explosion. This was the animatronic character band for Showbiz Pizza Place that would later be rebranded into Chuck E. Cheese. And if you look up Billy Bob Broccoli or Rock of Fire Explosion, that bear looks exactly like Barrow. Yeah, there's a picture of the famous, famous on the internet, uh, Red Letter Media people who do videos one of their characters as a kid had his birthday party there and has a picture of him with a guy in a barrow suit basically and it's so embarrassing it was on ellen degeneres and and just this week it's funny i saw i'm on part of a it's a huge group on facebook book called uh, weird secondhand finds of people who see stuff at garage sales and secondhand stores and somebody had a it was like a little scooter thing, but it was shaped like him. It was like, you know, he's he you were riding on his back and, and there were wheels where each of his four f- arms were. <laughs> yeah, it was it was nightmarish. Double. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. There were like a thousand comments under it. Like, what's this? This is horribly disturbing. This is for a child. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining in my head. I'm trying to figure out where his face would be. His face is 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 like facing forward and bent up at an unnatural angle. Oh. It's horribly dis- dis- disturbing. That's up there with the Jar Jar Binks lollipop where the tongue was the candy and you had to I just, make out with I Jar just Jar. found mine the other day. <laughs> I have still- I have one of those. Does it still have the candy? Yes, it does, but it's really gross. I bet it is. It's 20 years old now, yeah. Yeah, it. I was just about to say, it, it had its 20th anniversary last year. I bet it is gross. 
I've got the I've got the the Jedi the Jedi's with their lightsabers in a weird position too, and when you push the button, they're they're jailing. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah they're, it's it was, there were lots of sketchy Episode One toys. God, I love Episode One. <laughs> I love its power to drive people nuts. I mean, it's it's my well, we talked about this on J Guys and Jedi in our two hundredth episode. It's my third favorite Star Wars movie. I love Episode One. It's oh. funny. I, I went to watch a re-edit of it. The, the re-edit was mostly based on like making Jar Jar more of a dignified character, but you know, so a good p- chunk of it was just like watching Episode One. And every time I get it, I start going like. Man, I enjoy this movie. <laughs> I just start watching it and like, you know what? I I like this movie. I can't like when it's on, I watch it, you know, and I enjoy it while I'm watching it. I get sucked into it. Mm. I get sucked into ep- episode one. So, yeah. I love it too. It's so good. <laughs> don't, I'm a prequel kid, and it was my first Star Wars movie in theater. Don't come at me. If you want to know, like, I talked about it what like 15 minutes when we did our 200th episode, something like that. So if you want to yeah, hear it, go. Like that. Go find J Guys and Jedi. Look up episode two hundred, and I talk about it for like ten minutes, ten fifteen minutes about why I love episode one. So. Hoping Chris's scandalous rankings of the the Star Wars movies. You mean Chris's relatively normal and hopes terribly scandalous rankings? <laughs> 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 terribly scandalous. I don't know if relatively normal is even like possible in Star Wars fandom these days. So I'm sure mine was scandalous to somebody. <laughs> Well, you ready to get into karaoke? I am. So what did you think? We're officially in season two. I liked it. I liked how they managed to still make it kind of an episodic episode. They still mm-hmm. managed to make it a Monster of the Week episode, even though like we're, we've got the, the larger story unfolding in it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just what I wanted. We, I, we got some new characters and that I am going to assume are going to be part of the cast now, the the two secret agents and stuff, and, like, wider story things, but it was also a, a zombie apocalypse story. Mm-hmm. It's such a strong opening. I just, uh it's it, it still has that touch of horror, but still has that Gravity Falls twist to it, and I love it so much, so. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Scaryoki was the 21st episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on August 1st, 2014. It was written by Alex Hirsch, Matt Chapman, and Jeff Rao. Rao? Rao. 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 The director was Rob Renzetti, and the storyboard artists were Alonzo Ramirez Ramos, Neil Graff, Steve Hinneveld, and Luke Weber. Some extra information for you. Agent Powers is voiced by Nick Offerman. His other works include Park and Recreations, Fargo, and the Lego Movie. Agent Trigger is voiced by Brad Aburrell. His other works include the Men in Black franchise, Invader Zim, and SpongeBob SquarePants. The Latin incantation Deborah recites to raise the dead translates to Body Rise, Lord Devil, or Devil Dominion. Either way, both work. Conquer the world! Sheriff Loves and Deputy Derlin sing a song called The Rapper's Rap. The title of this song is an allusion to the song Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang, which is considered the first rap song to get major media attention. And finally, one big change from season one to season two was a channel move. 
Gravity Falls moved from the main Disney Channel to the channel Disney XD. This is where more of the Disney's action-oriented shows live that allowed them to get away with more when it came to Disney's censors. But, to quote Vrag Kaiser from their recaps on the Mary Sue, Alex Hirsch claimed that the move to Disney XD wasn't a direct corollary to the second season's darker tone. It's more of a happy accident. Though, while they could get away with more stuff horror-wise, they still couldn't put in queer content as we'll see in seven episodes. Well, as always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is broken into parts. The first part will talk, talk about the story themes and character. We are switching things up for season two a little bit. The part two will be reading from Dipper's Journal. And for season two, I'm actually going to do the cipher and connections to previous episodes first, before Chris has his theories and speculation corner. Because some of the ciphers get a bit juicy in season two. And I want to give Chris that knowledge as he speculates. All right, Chris, what'd you make your jams? What was your favorite part? The fake 80s karaoke songs, especially We Built This Township on Rock and Roll. <laughs> yes. Um, Stanyadas. I actually, I always forget about the Stanyadas every time, and every time I see them, they make me laugh. The Getaway Pouch. I actually thought you would like that one. I, I That one, the one I was like, that's probably going to be a joke that Chris likes. Yeah. And uh, my last one was, uh, I have four this time. Uh, Grunkle Stan's G-rated porn. You got one of mine. <laughs> I love that they were just like, I was just like, oh my god, that you know, if this was a, if this was reality, there would be a porn stash, and they managed to get away with it. That was one of my favorite parts. I always laugh every time I see the words "fully clothed women's magazine." <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. I love the line, Dipper. What was the one thing I asked you to do tonight? Raise the dead. And what did you do? Praise the dead. <laughs> That's such a Gravity Falls line. <laughs> I love it so much. All right, guys, here we go. Taking Over Midnight is my favorite Gravity Falls song. I I listen to that song actually constantly. I love that song so much. And it's so great. And it's so damn catchy. And I love this segment so much. And it's just... It's so good, but I also just love hearing Dipper have to sing the words, Don't worry, Daddy, I got my favorite dress on. <laughs> we roll into the party, the boys are looking my way. We keep dancing, we don't care what they say. I love this song, guys. It's my favorite. I, oh, so good. Um, and I just like the joke that it's by Amber Sandra. That's such a good joke. It's so good. <laughs> it's just such a nerd joke. It's such a nerd joke. It's so good. Yeah, answer Sandra. It's so good. And I just, I, uh, it's so great. It's so much fun, and I love that moment. It's probably like up there as one of my favorite moments. But my other favorite part of the episode, which actually takes me into my first note, is Stan revealing that he has known about the the craziness of Gravity Falls for the entire time. Because now that that's out in the open, Stan gets to be officially in the Avengers for the rest of the series. Yeah, but he's still, there's still finger crossing. He and Dipper are still finger crossing on oh. each other. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you want to start with that? Sure. So what did you think of this with Stan finally revealing to the kids that he's known? Well, 
at that point, there's not much you could say. There's not much denial for him, so he's he's cutting his losses, but he's still not going to tell him everything. But he's definitely doing damage control, going just like, look, okay, now you know, don't mess this up. And you actually kind of called that, too. I don't remember what episode, but in one of your speculations somewhere, you had said something along the lines of he was purposely not telling them under the guise of protecting them. Yeah, but he, I think he more just doesn't want them to mess things up. And I like he was like, you can use a book, but just to fix something. Which, and it's protection, too. Yeah, it's not going to happen, though. <laughs> He's going to oh, yeah. use a book. I mean, of course, especially now that they know that there's black light. I hope he's going to abuse the book. That's what keeps the story going, but yeah. I love this reveal because it's probably, it, it's the perfect way to start season two to get that out of the way that Stan has always known. And they've been building up to that because in Land Before Swine, they finally put Stan into the main adventure. And now Stan narratively gets to be a part of the show for the rest of the show, which absolutely changes the dynamic just as we saw in land before swine because that was kind of like the test run for it but do you know what i actually really love most about this reveal because i remember like when it was finally confirmed it puts stan's entire first season in a different light and to me it just shows how smart he is how crafty he is to keep up this ruse and it completely frames everything differently and the best example I can think of was in the episode Little Dipper, when Gideon is threatening Stan with the size-changing magical flashlight. And the thing is, like, Stan might not know exactly what that thing does, but he understands that it's magical or science or paranormal or whatever, and it's dangerous. And he still keeps his composure. He still keeps up his ruse. And that scene changes now when you watch it because you can see, like, the machinations, like, and, like, the wheel spinning of, like, how do I still act like Stan when I'm being threatened with this thing? And it com- it shows just how smart he is and that he can just live. Well, it helps that he's a con man, so he's so used to easily living lies. But I just, I love those little moments because it adds context back into those moments of, he understands that he can still keep his composure even in the face of danger and still not blow his cover. And it just makes Stan so smart and so good. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. That's what I always figured, though. That's what I always figured. I like that he was called the old one in the band. The old one. <laughs> well, that's that's also like a Lovecraft joke because Cthulhu is one of the old ones. Those were the, the, the old what they call the old gods. And I think Dipper's really interesting in this one, too. Because when it comes to Dipper for me, I kind of think it's a flaw on Stan's part that Dipper went this route with the agents. Because we had talked about all last season about how Stan has spent all this time bonding with Mabel, but he hasn't really had these adventures with Dipper. And when Dipper finds out that Stan always knew, Dipper looks angry. Like, he's mad at Stan for that. I feel like that's a nice culmination of everything from last season of Stan not bonding as much with Dipper and keeping him in the dark. Well, Dipper thinks he's one of the Hardy, well, not the Hardy boys, but, you know, he reads his adventure stories. So, like, Stan not helping him is kind of insulting because he's like, I thought we, you know, we you would normally just want to solve this mystery. And that's why he grabs onto the the agents because he's just like, they'll help me solve the mystery. And they're like. You know, X-Files guys, they'll, they'll help me. 
I think Stan should have immediately after the agents come and said, look, dude, you can't trust government agents. <laughs> but that would make Dipper go, why? And then Stan can't answer the question. Yeah, Stan can answer the question a thousand ways. <laughs> That's true. He could, he, you know, he could say, look, man, they're, you know, they're just going to come and try to put this whole place underneath a, a big, big plastic bubble. And, and or, or he could say, like, trust me, kid, I've had bad experiences with them in the past or whatever. But like, I think he could have just like come up with a, enough of a viable bullshit story that Dipper would have trusted enough. It wouldn't even had to have been bullshit, just vague enough. But Dipper would have been like, oh, just a little advice, Dipper, from someone who knows. Those guys are not going to help you out. You're going to end up in a in a lab somewhere or something. I don't I don't think Dipper would have trust Stan. Mabel, yeah. Mabel would just buy it and, and just go along with it because she has that bond with Stan. But I don't think Stan has made that bond fully with Dipper. I, I think they clearly love each other and they want to protect each other, but I don't think trust is on there. And that's actually a huge theme of the season is trust going forward. And we see that both of them are now hiding things from the... But it, would also, their- but it would also take... But they've also made steps towards that too. And it would just take less effort for Stan to get Dipper to trust him on that than it would for the agents who Dipper doesn't even know. I... I think it's an authority power because when you have like a government authority saying, hey, we're the government and we officially do this. I, I know what I would have done if I was Stan. I would have gone like, you thought those were government agents? Those are doppelgangers. But then they that were... would be confirming that he believes in the magic. He already said he did, though. Not at the beginning of the episode. Oh, 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 right. OK. Yeah, that didn't come out until okay. after the zombies came out. And I actually really liked that they brought up the whole trust thing and that Dipper and Stan both have their fingers crossed on this one. Um, it's a nice callback to actually season one, because the very first episode of season one, when Dipper finds, finds the journal, it says trust no one. And now we're going in season two with people hiding secrets from each other. And how how you trust people and who you trust is a big theme of this season. Just to set up the rest of the season for you. Okay. <laughs> My uh, kind of a more just general note, I like the writing of this episode. I like the structure of this episode. It's such a good refresher episode for us, unlike Chris, who had to wait an entire year between the season. (laughs) But it's also just written really well because, like, we touch base with a majority of the background characters. We get the recap of, like, why Gideon's in jail. And it starts with Stan's accomplishment at the beginning with him standing in front of the thing with no pants on, which is just a great line of, I wish, I guess I should have put on pants. But it also sets up a new threat for the season and it lays out the themes. And it's just a really solid episode. And the animation just kind of goes a next level up. And there's so many great color washes. It's lusher. Yeah. It's brighter and lusher. And you have those color washes, like you go from like blues from the black light to like the reds of the zombies to like greens of like of like hell coming out of the ground. It's visually nice. I have a question at the beginning when when the light goes all through the house. What is Mabel holding in her hand? Is that like a candy bar? Or a... It's her grappling hook. It's her grappling hook. Okay, it looked like for at first I thought it was like it looked almost like a remote control or something, and I'm like. I had to rewind it. I'm like, I can't figure out what she has in her hand, but it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. It's referring to something. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> That's a good way to tell it. Did, did you like how this episode was animated? Because I know you're a visual guy. I did. 
it reminded me of Clone Wars in a little bit where they where they stepped it up a little bit but not enough to where it totally changes the whole aesthetic of it. It just, like, enhances it. So, yeah, it looked nice. It looks nice. It looks, it, it looks, the colors almost look a little more neon, not neon, but almost like they're backlit a little bit. It just, it, it, it takes on a, a very, very nice look. I like bright colors, like the, the way they use, like you were saying, blues, especially like blues and purples and, yeah, I'm I'm wondering if they maybe like there was like someone go someone came to the animation room and go we got a new add-on for the for our software. <laughs> and they all go, "Ooh, blue ooh, and red." Ooh, look at this. We can blend these colors right together. <laughs> My last stand note I wrote, "Uncle Stan returns for my loins." I'm I'm very excited. I had two notes that I thought for sure we're going to get or notes that we're going to get uh X'd out in in like the early show notes what are they well agent powers is totally g gordon liddy <laughs> he is he's totally g gordon liddy which maybe is why i was like oh you should say you shouldn't trust these guys because you shouldn't trust g gordon liddy but i thought that was awesome because g gordon liddy's a good character he's a good character for a for an agent you know i'm sure he's not gonna be g gordon liddy but he's got the demeanor and look of him yeah, um, there was a random, like, illusion note of the agents could possibly be references to the movies Men in Black. Because yeah. uh, Agent Powers has says the line of, I've been bred to not have humor. And there's a line in, in Men in Black that says, the FBI does not have humor with these kind of situations. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, and, it, and but it, both was, of it was those a possible, kinda... yeah, it was a possible illusion, so I didn't include it. Yeah, no, I mean, he looks like G. Gordon Liddy, and he's got his voice. It's 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 G. Gordon Liddy. Nick Offerman is great as Powers. <laughs> the, the, the fact that they had to use sound waves to defeat the zombies, it was a reference to Mars Attacks, where they use a Slim, uh, the voice of Slim Whitman singing to, to make the alien's head explode, if you've ever seen Have you ever seen Mars Attacks? I did when I was very little, and it scared me when I was very, very young. Um, it's hilar- I th- I'm sure it'll yeah. be hilarious now. Yes. Now, yeah, but it's Is one it- of those things, like you know, but like when you get scared of something as a child, like when you go back to like replace, like to go do, like watch it again, you're just like, I don't wanna, because you have that childhood fear of it. <laughs> so uh, I, and I get to re- re- to go back to it. <laughs> but but it was also a reference to, that was also used in. Even further back in the movie Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, where they oh. use where they use the song Puberty Love to <laughs> to make the tomatoes explode. Still remember I uh, I went with Scott Gardner's family to visit his aunt in Pennsylvania, and she had this weird cable station that was showing all these like totally bad movies, and they showed Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and we thought Puberty Love was the most hilarious bad song ever. It was pretty good. It was was just, it written by by Dipper? <laughs> you only hear it played through like loudspeakers, and you can only hear the vocalist, and he's singing in a falsetto like "Puberty, it's so neat, it's so cool." You can go on YouTube and find <laughs> just search for "Puberty Love," "Attack of the Killer Tomatoes," and and all the tomatoes would start to panic and and explode. 
So what did you think of the government agents, or is that in your speculation corner? Sort of in my speculation, but, like, yeah, it's hard to say because at first I thought they were just going to be a gag because they immediately get just dragged off. <laughs> but that, that, then we find out they're still alive. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they're going to be uh, recurring characters, and I think they'll actually be... I think they'll be sort of foils for a while, but eventually will be um, sympathetic characters. That's my uh, my feelings on them. It, it was uh, something like this was was I think pretty much going to happen mm-hmm. <laughs> in this kind of storyline. I I have to say, um, just so to give you a heads up, just keep an eye on the background of various shots going forward. Okay. Kind of like the how Bill Cipher was in every episode that's, last season. That's generally, yeah, that's generally good advice in in Gravity Falls. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I have to say though, I like that Stan had like breached Zeus and trained him on what to do with government agents. Like he had a code word of what to say. Yeah. He knew to give them swag and give them free stuff to appease them. Like he had Zeus trained for that. <laughs> what did you think of the zombies as the monster of the week? They're okay. They, Zombie they Zeus were, is amazing. They were that's the thing. They 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 would have been totally generic if you didn't have Zombie Zeus in there to add a little spice to it. And Zombie Zeus was hilarious. Because <laughs> it's just like, I'm sorry, dudes, I I just gotta eat brains. <laughs> Can I eat he, your but brains? But basically he's manageable with a broom, you know. I love it, too, because he's just like, I'm like a genius among these guys. Can I eat your brains? Yay or nay? I'm thinking yay. <laughs> and I love that he's still so serious. Like, you know, he wants to, like, sit and watch TV and be serious. Yeah, he's not much different except he wants brains. I know. I love him. Though I, I have to say I love the part where they hit the spinning color ball and the zombies swallow it and then he's spinning and coloring <laughs> like just spilling out spinning lights uh that's such a nice detail i will say though the first time i watched this episode it was actually a shock to see seuss get eaten because i was like are they killing off seuss right in the opening of this season and of course they you know they have a cure for it and everything but that was actually a shock for until the end of the episode when they were like, we can cure zombification. And I, part of me actually thought they were going to do like a Shaun of the Dead thing where at the end of Shaun of the Dead, he has his friend as a zombie, like, Yeah, friend. just every once in a while, Seuss is going to try and eat their brains. Yeah, I, I could see them going the Shaun of the Dead route as well, so. Yeah, but, you, you, it would be funny, but then like, if you follow it to its inevitable conclusion, it would be Seuss would be like, I totally ate my grandma's brain. Alolita would not be with us anymore. (laughs) But I like the zombies too. I think it's a nice way to set up the tone of the season because they're dark. And if it was red when they splatter, this would not be airing on Disney. So it's just dark enough to get the tone of the season, but it still has like little comedy beats and stuff to where it's never too scary. Well, they're not like they're not like bodies that came out of the cemetery. They just were disgorged from hell, so they had like green blood and stuff. So they were just like zombie creations, you know. So mm-hmm. it it's not too shocking to see them splattered too. And they and they weren't like they weren't the townspeople. They were like skeletons with just like old moldy flesh stuck to them. 
So yeah. it, it just didn't, it, it just seemed, it was, it just seemed cartoonish. Everybody's so familiar with, with zombie apocalypse stories that like seeing green zombie splat on the ground is pretty G rated. For a zombie story, it was, it was very nonviolent, you know? Yeah, because I was thinking of like um, other kids' media and stuff like that. And even something like Hocus Pocus is a little bit more because Billy gets like his head knocked off and loses limbs and fingers and stuff. But it's that's a kid's movie because it's never like super gory because you know he's okay. I do. I like how this set up the like the tone and everything. So at the at this point, I think most people who are watching it are way more concerned with the Stan and the book storyline than they are with the monsters of the week. So the monsters of the week are just sort of like, uh, are, are just sort of like a sidebar now, you know, they're, they don't take up as much of my attention. I don't take them as seriously as I take the ongoing storyline now. I know that's how I felt by the time I got to this episode as well. I was just like, this is fun. Why is Stan still in the basement? <laughs> like, he's down there and stuff. It is really awesome, though, to see Stan just come up and just start wailing on zombies. Uncle Stan is just the best. He's just so lean and thin. He's lost like 20 years off his life. Or he's 20 <laughs> years younger, I should say. He's just so handsome. I love Stan Bites so much. Yes, I'm thirsty for this old man hate me for it (laughs) but that's all i really had um did you have anything else no i think i actually covered all my notes well because i'm sure you have plenty in your speculation corner my speculation corner is kind of weird it's not as much speculation as noting things that i think are important for that are going to be important that i saw in the episode that's fine all right so Now, for the next part, we are going to be reading from the journal. And there's going to be two entries this time. One is from the author, and the other one is from Dipper. So, let's read. Okay, I can't read that section. Now, the only thing about this journal is it has all the crossed-up stuff that was in Dipper's journal in the show. So, sadly, I don't have the cool blacklight parts on this. (laughs) Because that's like the $200 version that I don't have. I just have to note, too, because it's really cute. At the top, the author has written, make sure you return your library book on 8-11. So he was very conscious about going to the Gravity Falls library. All right, so the first one. This is from the author, and it's about the undead. The undead, known for their pale skin and bad attitudes. These creatures are often mistaken for teenagers. Beware Gravity Falls nefarious zombies. That's actually also in the first episode as well, when when Dipper thinks Norman, who is a group of gnomes, is a zombie. Much like teenagers, they move in packs. They're susceptible to bright lights and peer pressure. Extremely dangerous. This part's crossed out. It says, what if they're... And then it's crossed out and it says, I must stop them at all cost. Destroy them before they rise. Their skulls are unbreakable. I cannot find a single weakness. I will watch my back at night and keep a shovel handy. Perhaps there is a non-physical way to defeat them. And then on the next page, it says, Since learning how dangerous my uh, my own lab grounds are, I have been researching forms of magical defense against zombies. Enchanted daggers are handy. I don't recommend double-edged swords, though. It is possible to cure zombification. 
Mix one cup of formaldehyde, one teaspoon of salt, two teaspoons of paint thinner, one quart of Newt's blood, and a pinch of cinnamon for taste. This only works until the 10th hour following contamination. If you take any later, you're undead meat. A zombie skull ground up can be used to coat your body. The smell will take oh, the smell will trick zombies and anyone else into avoiding you. <laughs> zombie curse spells. For the sake of science, I suppose I should also include the zombie summoning spell. I'm not entirely sure why I'm writing this down, but I'm a stickler for being complete about a subject. Do not read aloud. There's a picture of Stonehenge in here, and it says, Stonehenge was either a spell amplification center or a place for druids to play hide-and-seek. The zombie chant, when read aloud, will conjure zombies for about 24 hours. Like most curses, it is both both a blessing and a curse. Actually, it's just a curse. And then it has the spell that Dipper read in the episode. So that's the author. And as for Dipper, I must say... He drew a picture of himself dressed like a secret agent standing with powers and trigger. So, yeah. Here we go. Here's Dipper's part. I just got a huge break. A huge break! These super serious government agents showed up today at the shack. They started poking around and and uttering phrases like mysterious activity and conspiracy of paranormal origin. Man, they were speaking my language. Of course, Stan gave them the brush off and told them not to speak with me. But I've got to show them this book. Once the three of us put our heads together, we'll crack the case of Gravity Falls wide open. And after that, who knows what the future might hold. July 21st. The grand reopening of the uh, after party was a total train wreck. There was a zombie attack. Sorry, Agent Powers and Triggers. And Seuss became a zombie. We're in the middle of curing him right now. But here's the real headline about that night. Stan knows about the magic. He's known all along. I mean, he had to be really stupid or actually blind to not have seen something after living in Gravity Falls for 30 years. But Mabel and I both bought his clueless old man routine. He says that he was lying to protect us. Part of me thinks that there's got to be more to it than that. But Mabel believes what Stan told us. And I have to admit that he did kick a lot of zombie butt to keep us safe. Speaking of which, I'm pretty sure that Mabel is screwing up the potion to de-zombify Seuss right now. There's no way that formula calls for whipped cream and boba balls. And that is the journal for this week. So. Yeah. Yeah, Dipper said a b- bunch of stuff that I said about Stan. Sort of. <laughs> oh, maybe. Except he fell for it, but he's a little kid, so. Yeah, he's 12. Give him a break. <laughs> I'm an old crank, so. You have also, like, yeah, like, what, 40 extra years of experience on him? Yeah. <laughs> So now it's time for our ciphers and connections to previous episodes corners. First, connections to previous episodes. When copying pages from journal number three, Stan is using the cloning copy machine from his office. On the One of the pages seen copied is the page of secret symbols, which is up on Dipper's mystery board in the Gravity Falls short Stan's tattoo. Several references to previous episodes appear on Dipper's big mystery board, including... The Experiment 78 tag from the carpet in Carpet Diem, Gideon's mystery amulet from the hand that rocks the Mabel, a picture of Quentin Trimbley from Irrational Treasure, a photo of the Summerween trickster from Summerween, an article about Gideon's arrest, and a picture of Bill Cipher. 
In Dipper, Mabel, and Stan's room in the background, there are a lot of little things from previous episodes that now decorate their room. It's stuff like Stan's Stanvac traveling case from Dreamscaperers, Mabel's triangle hat from Irrational Treasure, and the pterodactyl tooth from Lambeau's Swine. There's more stuff than just that, though, but it's more of just adventure mementos from season one. There's a really cute quick... It's a quick detail, and I love it, and it's so cute. It's so cute that I just wanted to point it out. So you remember back in Dipper versus Manuliness, the Tyler Gidham guy was trying to decide between a Puma shirt or a Panther shirt, and they just left him in the shack <laughs> to go eat food? When Tyler arrives at the party, we see that he has sewn both of his shirts together, and now they're just one shirt. It's I so did cute. not notice that. It's yeah. so cute. And one thing I did notice, though, is uh, Stan's brass knuckles were from his contraband box. Ended up grabbing his, his brass knuckles from the contraband box. I would ima- I don't know why he would keep them as contraband. He, I would imagine he would just, like, keep them in his pocket. <laughs> Are they his contraband? <laughs> Maybe. And there's, and like, when, when it comes to, like, their bedrooms, they just pretty much, like, took all their adventures from season one and just decorated their rooms with it. So, like, it's it's just more, like, set decoration, but it's cool that now, like, you can look around their room and, like, see stuff, like, um, in the background and stuff. So, it's just a cool little detail, but, yeah, I, I didn't actually notice Tyler Giddem guy having the sewn-together two shirts until somebody pointed it out on the internet, and I, every, now every time I watch it, it's just cute, because it's cut right down well, the middle. They, they so throw 8,000 million gags into each show you know to remember that gag from that specific show you know i mean somebody's gonna remember because there's gags that stand out in different people's heads Mm -hmm. but like just yeah being able to connect that is just gonna be the people who are the the tyler stands not the stan stands not to be confused with the stan stands uncle stan stands all right guys so now for the ciphers of this episode so here's the thing with season two Season two has a ton of ciphers and they get really intense and they're everywhere. A lot of the ciphers are just situational in jokes or keys for the bigger ciphers. And some of them are just like for the moment. So for example, in this episode, Nick Offerman was the voice of Agent Trigger. But when you watch the credits, his name isn't actually in the credits. Instead, it's the word key venere. <laughs> I think it's how it's pronounced. Key venere being one of the keys to unlock the code. And Keith Venere is saying, look for the key in the episode to unlock the ciphers of this episode, the f- which is actually the word whittle, because in Gideon's jail cell, when everything lights, lights up at night, he opens his eyes, and on the wall behind him, it says the word whittle with a key. And word whittle is the key to the rest of the ciphers of this episode. This is where we are in season two. Everything's intense. <laughs> There's a bunch of just kind of situational ones, like when the agents at the beginning of the episode, um, the government's like using the satellites, the words search for the dot 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 is ciphered out on Dipper's message board, mystery board. There's an encoded words that say, why is Wendy so perfect? That's in a cipher. And then when Agent Powers gives his business card to Dipper, the numbers on that translate to the word flag being like the American flag. So those are the situational ones that just kind of pop up throughout the episode. This is how intense we are now. It's going to be like this for the rest of the series. (laughs) Wow. I know. But for the main ciphers, so we have the original one that's at the end of the credits. That's the normal one. 
and the cryptogram at the end of the credits read, Welcome back! It is lovely, thank you, we're happy to be here. But now, at the end of every episode, you probably notice after the credits, there's a quick flash of a page, right? Mm-hmm. That's new. And there are two ciphers on that, and when they're put together, it reads, The man downstairs is very clever. Can he hide his plans forever? As we they get even this rhyme. Page, I know. As we get these pages, they actually get, you put them together and they make a big image. Do not look up that image, Chris, but I can okay. send it to you at the end of the show. <laughs> what are your speculations and theories for this episode, Chris? Well, we definitely know Stan's, well, not definitely, because who knows how deep it goes. But now I, Stan's whole setup in the basement isn't a, isn't government related. <laughs> Which it very well could be, because it's like high-tech electronics that, from the past. So that was something I was, like, wondering. Just, and to, just to clarify, because I just want to make sure who you, I heard you right. It is or is not government-related. Is not. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I heard you right. Because otherwise the government would be like, we have a station that, you know, we could we, we need to get to our station that we left in, in Gravity Falls. But it, but it could be because the, the agents could have been playing dumb and just like scoping out the shack because they are government agents. But I'm, I, I'm like, I think for the the way the story is in this, it's whatever's going on down there is is different. And I think the line in the beginning when they're like, "We haven't seen something like this in 30 years," is going to be very important. And it seems the time probably to when Stan would be start be probably learning about, you know, when Stan was probably new to the weird stuff in Gravity Falls. Can I give so, you something? I just read it from Dipper's journal. He's known all along. He had to be really stupid or something to not notice something after living in Gravity Falls for 30 years. Okay, for 30 years, yeah. So yeah, that's, 30 what, years. So, that's what Dipper so, wrote in the journal. So, yeah, so, so basically now we know... Like something happened before Stan related that was similar to the, you know, maybe that was Stan's first attempt at whatever he's doing. That just that just sort of connected it to like, okay, Stan is doing this because something happened at some point. And I'm and and I'm still betting it has something to do with his wife, with a with a wife. Like maybe the story of his wife running off isn't really the full story. Marilyn? Miss Marilyn, who was married to him for six hours before leaving. Right, leaving. Hmm, okay. Do well, you, that's all I got. Do you, uh, as we, I know, because it's only been the end of the last episode, and now just a brief flash of this one at the beginning, do you have any extra inklings about what Stan might be doing, or are you still in the dark? No, well, I, I'm in the dark. He's trying, he's trying to either, yeah, not specifically, but he's trying to undo something or complete something maybe maybe 30 years ago he opened something up and that's why gravity falls has been as weird as it is and now he can finally fix it or i i think he's recovering he's recovering something whether it could be his lost love or whatever or something but like he's he's fixing or recovering something I'm going to ask a completely hypothetical thing for just uh-huh. fun. So take all the logic you just said, throw it out the window. What do you as a fan want it to be? What's your guilty pleasure of what that thing is? What's your guilty pleasure? Doesn't even have to fit in the rules of the world. 
Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know I'm springing this on you. I don't know that that like Stan is really wa- basically trying to set up something that's very Rick and Morty like, where he's like, now I can go into you know explore other dimensions and worlds. That would be fun. It okay. wouldn't be very story good, but it would be fun. It would be like launching a new, a spinoff or something like that. But I would, I, I, I would like something. I would like something like that where it took on a more cosmic significance, you know, and went more into Bill Cipherness. Maybe yeah. something, ha- maybe something happens, and we can pick it up when Dipper's like 20 years old, Dipper and Mabel are like 20 years old and they come back to Gravity Falls to pull Grunkle Stan out. Yeah. But, or something like that. Live action show. Shot you like just explained Twin Peaks. like, like 2000 fan fictions and fan arts. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and they come back at 20 years old and it's directed by David Lynch. And <laughs> very happy. That, that's a very common fan art and fan fiction thing, um, especially because Rick and Morty can travel dimensions. So there's actually, since like uh, Blendon Blandon, uh, Justin Roiland voices Blendon Blandon, he works on Rick and Morty and everything. Um, there's a lot of Gravity Falls Rick and Morty crossover art. That's that's very common, just because and I think, yeah, Bill Cipher has been seen on a screen in the background on, on Rick and Morty, so there's, there's a lot of fun crossovers. And now with Owl House, too. Rick and Morty has a conceit in it to where it could cross over with anything. You know what I mean? The the basic conceit of Rick and Morty and the the way that they travel through different potential realities means that like any crossover into Rick and Morty can be canonical with Rick and Morty or another show. Yeah. So it's actually I guess in that in that case it is technically canon because Bill has been on screens in Rick and Morty, so if you wanted to get, like, super technical about it, Rick and Morty and Rowdy Falls are technically in the same universe. Yes. <laughs> yes. But you can also spin that with Owl House, because Bill Cypher you could has... Sp- been- you could spin that with Charlie's Angels from the 70s, <laughs> you know? Yeah. As long as Rick and Morty show up and have Charlie's Angels on the show. They do that in Owl House, too, because Bill Cipher has been seen on pictures in Owl House. So they're technically, and and it's honestly like Easter eggs. It's just Easter eggs because Alex Hirsch has worked on both shows and so did Dana Terrace. But, I mean, it's if you really wanted to think about it, you could. And the way that, well, now, now, now you've seen the thing in the basement. At the end of the Owl House, we see something that looks very similar to the thing in the basement. So everyone's like... Are these shows connected? <laughs> What's happening here? They're not connected. But it's really funny just to think about because it's somebody like walked by a thing and it looks just like the thing in the basement. And again, it's just an Easter egg, just kind of like a little blink and you miss a thing. When, when you're dealing with like shows about magic and especially modern day, because like quantum physics is all tied into it now too and alternate realities and stuff. You can easily do that stuff. You could say Bill Cipher is just this interdimensional being and like, yeah, people have dealt with him in other total realities that are like not are on our timeline. But Bill Cipher isn't hampered by stuff like that. Yeah. So he could totally be he could just be a, a, have another name in Owl House or, you know, or the the machinery in the basement can be like that's the mechanics of 
doing stuff interdimensionally so one might turn up in owl house it doesn't mean it's sort of connected but it's connected in the way of like oh there's a snowplow in both of these shows you know or something like that yeah they and, get and away with all that sh- stuff and, and they're tv shows. cartoons so you could have might as well have fun with it Especially in, like, Disney shows, like, because all of these people have worked together at some point. Like, Matt Braley went on to do Amphibia. Dana Terrace went on to do Owl House. Like, they all work together. And, like, and so they're constantly hiding, like, Easter eggs in each other's shows. Like, for example, a few weeks ago, there's a show called Big City Greens. I haven't watched it yet, but it's another Disney show. And they're in, like, a Chuck E. Cheese place, and there's a claw game. And all the toys in the claw games are characters from other shows. Like, Bill Cipher is a stuffed animal. King is in there. Um, Rufus from Kim Possible. Sprig from Amphibia. Star from Star vs. the Force of Evil. Like, they're all just toys in this claw machine because it's just Disney shows paying homage to other Disney shows. So mm-hmm. it's actually a very common thing to, like, hide Easter eggs. Yeah, um, Disney has hidden Mickeys all over Disney World, you know? In Disneyland. Yeah. And Amphibia, the characters from Big City Greens, were toys on, like, a shelf in an episode. R2 and 3PO are are on Highwood Brook. Amphibia did an entire episode of of Gravity Falls where there's Grunkle Stan and Frog Zeus. (laughs) R2-D2 and C-3PO are on Hieroglyphics in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. When, When I say they could technically be in the same universe, I don't actually believe that these shows are in the same universe. I think it's just really fun Easter eggs from people who have worked together and they love working together and they are paying homage to the shows they came from. So. You never know. Like, maybe you'll see a cartoon of it, but I could bet you would see, like, crossover comic books type stuff. Absolutely, actually. I could totally um, see that happening with the way they has- do licensing in comic books and stuff. So you might see, so, you know, you might see it bear fruit. It would be fun if they just did, like, a special where they just did crossovers of all their cartoons that would be fun they they kind of have in different formats one of the reasons why i loved the new run of my little pony was it was very meta with its fandom stuff so like in the comic books there's a picture of mabel as a pony and she's just in the my little pony world as a pony and she's just there in the background like they're like this is mabel pony like uh, my little pony is really good about that in Steven Universe, in their comic, they had Yuri on Ice characters, because Yuri on Ice is this amazing anime that I love, and I can't wait for the movie in the second season to come out. But they had Yuri on Ice characters in the background, because they can get away with doing that. Just yeah, they, they, were, they, they the crossed the, the Simpsons and Futurama in the comics. Yeah, that is a thing. Um, in the Gravity Falls comic, Lost Legends, I can't talk too much about it, because it, it takes place during and after season two. But Mabel gets taken to another dimension of different versions of Mabel. And there's a lot of Easter eggs to other shows in that. And so she sees like a bunch of different Mabels. And there's nods to like Adventure Time, My Little Pony. Like there's nods to other shows like in that scene where she sees all these other Mabels. And I can't say much more after that. Because a lot of times they have a little more leeway in the comics to do stuff like that. Yeah. I actually really want to send you Lost Legends um, once we finish the show, because I, I can't send it to you now. But yeah. uh, I think you'd really enjoy it, because there's there, there's one I, I can't know. talk I about. I realize you got to sit on a lot of stuff, Hope. 
Yeah, there's actually one, though, where it's um, because it's four new mysteries. And one of the mysteries, Stan gets trapped in a comic book. So they're just hopping comic books and they're changing the art style for every comic book they hop through. And I think you would get a real kick out of that one because as they change styles, like there is one that's the style of like Hellboy. There's one that's the style of manga. There's one that's the style of like old Peanuts comics. I think you would actually really enjoy that one because they're... They hop comics through styles, but I, I can't even send you pictures of that because I have spoilers. But I think I think you would really enjoy. I I I want to send you like a journal and and Lost Legends when we're done with the show because I think you would really like it. Because there's so much in the journal I'm not even reading you. <laughs> there was a section I couldn't even read you tonight while we were talking about the undead because it was just a big old paragraph of spoilers, which will be next week's episode. I can't read most of the journal entries for next week's episode. Oh. I can't. Yeah. Any other speculations or theories? No. Hey, guys. So we've made it through a season, and we had a lot of fun last season. The reason that we are still moseying along and doing our thing and loving it and having its good time is because I have the awesome support from, well, of course, Chris is an amazing support, and he's a great co-podcaster. I... Ha- very happily do two shows with him because he's one of my best friends and I love him to death. But we also have major awesome patrons who are part of the show and they support the show and they support the website Geek Girl Experience as this is the animation podcast for Geek Girl Experience. And these people really help me a lot and they help fund the show. Hosts are not free. Web hosts are not free. And this helps pay for the show to be hosted and have a place to call home. So I do want to take a moment to thank Jean, Brian, Heather, Billy, Lynn, Patrick, Bree, Alex, and Kate. Guys, you, you, I don't know how many times I can say that. I love you because I do. <laughs> I love you guys so much and you're precious and I love you so much. And thank you for everything that you guys do and your kind words and your awesome like support. And I, you guys just mean the world to me. Thank you so much. So if you haven't joined Patreon, you can start as little as $3, but at $7, you get the episodes early, and you also get behind-the-scenes content at $7, and it would just help support the show, especially as we go into Season 2, and after Season 2, we're going to be going into Avatar The Last Airbender once we finish Gravity Falls. So it just really helps out the show because it gets me like pay for a web host and stuff like that. So that'd be really awesome if you could, you know, help out and join us over there at Patreon, so... Before we go, I just have a little coincidence reference to, um, I assume it has already been out, the Chris Makes Hope Watch a Cartoon. Yes, that was is out at this time. Has already been out. So I just got, uh, I won an auction on eBay for 20 issues of this old magazine called Cinefantastique, which was, at its time, just the best magazine about like genre movies, you know, horror, supernatural, science fiction, comics, anything like that. They were on the on the job, but it was very, very super well written. And like I, I bought it because I just knew. Well, for one, it was sixty dollars for twenty of them, and a lot the three of the issues are some are three of the hardest to find, most like wanted issues including their double size when they did a double issue you'd be reading it for a week and you know in-depth interviews and stuff 
So I've got the 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 most sought, one of the most sought after ones, the double size Star Wars issue that came out, which is sometimes goes for like 175 bucks or whatever. Like it's one of my holy grails that I never thought I'd get my hands on. But I got it and I'm I'm looking at it and I'm just like, I can't believe I got this. And I'm flipping through it and I get to the part where they're re- reviewing movies. And guess what movie they review? Allegro non tropo. Yay! Yeah. And it's pretty funny because basically they, they, their thoughts on the ending of it almost mirrored exactly your thoughts. Oh, that's so cool! But they get they gave it a really good review. They were basically like, well, hopefully this sets a template for future, you know, commercial animation movies and blah blah blah. But it didn't. <laughs> but they're, they, these magazines are so. And I found I have one with John Carpenter on it, and it spoils the Empire Strikes Back. Everything in the it basically spoils everything in the Empire. It's like we had some people got to see the new Star Wars movie early. Here's the plot, and they just basically left out every. Or oh my god! Every, really? Everything but the Vader. They they hinted at you know there's something. A uh, shocking connection between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, but they basically told the whole storyline, showed a picture of Yoda, and said, uh, "Like, said the 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 bad news about it is the romantic parts of it really fizzle." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, these bastards spoiled Empire Strikes Back! I can't believe it! I was too young to read this magazine then." It's it's unbelievable. The stuff that you read in it, you find out like people who were working on movies that eventually came out 10 years later. And you're like, oh, my God, I would have liked to see that movie by that director. And it's just a unbel- it's it's a better source for genre movie information than the Internet. Just one one issue of this. So if anybody sees any old Cinefantastics, pick them up. It's worth your time to read them. That's so cool. Yeah. I feel like you told me about those before not on this show but i, feel I, like I probably told you they were on the way in the mail or i got them and i was really glad but like i had probably had not opened up the star wars issue yet and seen a lot, the first like the, it's in the it's in the center of the magazine so as soon as i opened it up i see allegro non tropo and i'm like whoa i've never seen a review of this like that came out when the movie came out mm-hmm. and they're so harsh cool. critics they that, they will they will feature a whole movie in their in their magazine and tell you about how you know the, how they wrote it how they did all the special effects an interview with the director and then they'll do a review where they're like yeah it kind of sucked <laughs> <laughs> that that actually makes me happy because when we did Eleven on Tropo you were saying how like you wish it got more love and publication and. How like you never really like saw a lot of stuff from it, so it actually makes me really happy that you found something about yeah. it. Yeah, well, of course it would be Cinefantastique. Yeah, it would be, uh, of course, be this magazine that that noticed it. But yeah, I wish like Time. I don't know. For all I know, Time Magazine did review it, and just nobody went to the movie theater to see it. Lagro <laughs> non tropo reviews. <laughs> oh, they gotta do it. Yeah. There's probably I, I I probably should have gone to um I could have gone to um Rotten Tomatoes they it's they that's like the second that's like the first thing that comes up is Rotten Tomatoes yeah rot, Rotten Tomatoes will archive will go and dig them up out of like you know the Washington Post and Time Magazine and stuff like that old Cisco there's probably I could probably find a Cisco and Ebert review I know Ebert was a big fan of it. 
Rosetto's work may never collect the tremendous audience that Fantasia has accumulated in its 30-year history, but that isn't because it's any less of a film. <laughs> it's from The Sentinel. I believe that's a British magazine. Well, some of these are as recent as 2019. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can go in and log in a review of it. and I should just go right after the episode comes out, like, listen to how big Chris watch cartoons and we talk about this movie for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my review. <laughs> As Hope Mullinex said in the in the Chris Bakes Hope Watch a Cartoon podcast, found at Geeky Girl Experience. <laughs> and if you want to hear more, click this link. <laughs> All right, well, did you have anything else for Skiriyoki? I do not. I'm ready for the next one. What were your final thoughts on this episode? It was really good. They did a good job of making it a regular episode, addressing issues of the other one while still keeping you strung along. I'm imagining they're going to keep you to some level strung along through the whole season, which is fun. But like you have to have a certain amount of stuff trickling in to keep it satisfying. And I think they're they, they set a good tone with that for the I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. I love this episode, too. I think it's a perfect way to open season two. It was a perfect way to bring us back, especially those of us who waited live to a year to watch it. And everything is out in the open now, and Stan gets to be part of the plot moving forward, which is just really exciting. Except for next week, <laughs> which we'll get to. But yeah, I, I love this episode, and my god, Taking Over Midnight is the greatest song Gravity Falls has ever made. I love that fucking song so much. <laughs> All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's our website. And that's uh, where you can sign up for our RSS feeds, or you can sign up there at the old iTunes, or I don't know, it's Apple Podcasts now or some wherever, whatever it they're called. Apple Podcasts now. Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on uh, Facebook. We've got the Two True Freaks podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina. And we are also on Twitter. And our Twitter feed is run by the, uh, when I say our, of course, still mean Two True Freaks, is run by the infamous Gene. Gene. I already called him the pirate machine. Gene, Gene, the voiceover machine. Do, 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 do. Gene. I don't know what voice that was. I'm sorry. The the, the silky dulcet tones of James Earl Jones. Gene. (laughs) (laughs) That's where they can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? That's me trying to do a very terrible Darth Vader voiceover impression. (laughs) Yeah, just fix it in post. Add some effects to it. You'll be fine. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) You 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 like me giving you homework there? You could go online, get the breathing sound effect, add that little reverb, you know, pitch drop yourself down a little bit. You'll be fine. No, I think I've already established on this is that I'm not that person. You can find me at geekygirlexperience.com. This is, of course, the animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. Um, Actually, by the time that this episode comes out, I should be reviewing or getting close to finishing reviews of the mandalorian season two and i'm very excited to be reviewing season two of the mandalorian oh my god we're only weeks away from that and as we're speaking now yeah three weeks i think it's the 30th 
so one, two, three, three weeks and three days from the time that we're recording this, we'll have baby Yoda and Dinjarin ejected back into our lives. So, <laughs> yay. Of course, I mentioned my lovely patrons. You can subscribe to this podcast at patreon.com slash experience and to help support the show. You can also find me at Twitter at Hope Molinax. Of course, Chris was talking about Jagas and Jedi, so and you can follow us there at Jagas and Jedi on Twitter. And I also have an Etsy shop where I sell cute Waddles merchandise, and there's a link to that in the show notes. And it's Etsy.com/shop/geekygirlexperience. So yeah, you want to hear the title for next week's episode? I do. You ready? Ready as in- I'm gonna be. Into the bunker. Ooh. Mm. I will say you got a hint of it in this episode at the end when Dipper holds up the black light and he looks at a page from the book. Oh. That was kind of the hint for next week's episode. So, yep, we are going into the bunker and AKA what I call Wendy finally gets to be a full fledged character. Yay! <laughs> Wendy's finally a character next week. Yay! <laughs> That's what I call that episode. Wendy actually gets to be a human. For once. For uh, finally. Fucking finally. <laughs> so. Alright guys, we'll see you next week. Alright. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, did you know that you were actually two months behind on Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons? My patrons over on Patreon have access to more episodes of this show as well as behind-the-scenes content. Patreon is a great way for you to support this podcast and my website, Geeky Girl Experience, with multiple tiers of content that you can choose from. If you become a patron, you'll get your name shouted out in the episodes, as well as my never-ending gratitude. You can sign up today at www.patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time, and I love you guys. Bye.